Lights, camera, good. <laughs> good afternoon, everybody. Uh, welcome, welcome. Um, my name is Latin. I'll be talking to you about simplifying Microsoft architectures with AWS services. Hopefully, at the end of this presentation, you'll see how, how simpler it is to actually use AWS for your Microsoft workloads, for your Microsoft development, uh, for, you know, for your Microsoft maintenance on all your, all your Microsoft workload needs. Um, I have uh, been very deep in the weeds uh, before joining uh, AWS. I was a Microsoft Most Valuable Professional for many years. I went through Microsoft Certified Master Certification and Training. I worked with various uh, uh, Ranger teams, SQL Ranger teams, uh, TFS Ranger team. I worked with Microsoft Research. Um, then I started working very much uh, in, deep in the weeds uh, with all things AWS, and I've been here for um, two, oh, over two years, two years now. Um, Working with all with all crazy and beautiful crazy and beautiful things on our on our awesome platform. Um, so let me start with the challenge. So what's the challenge? Uh, the challenge really is how can we simplify our infrastructure environment? What can AWS do for my Microsoft workloads to simplify them to make it simpler? Um, what about things very important things like Active Directory? Uh, like you, all your corporate applications, your changes, um, you know, SharePoints, Dynamics, uh, your system center, and so on. What about SQL? Uh, how do I deploy all, all of this, and how do I do it in a repetitive, um, in a stable meta, way, um, in, in a predictable way as well? Um, what about any good migration suggestions I may have for you? Um, how, how do we actually go over to AWS? And also, how it can, most importantly, a, a, uh, how it can help me simplify my legacy.NET applications. And uh, more, for that specific one, uh, there will be a more in-depth session that I will be doing on a Wednesday, um, uh, specifically with.NET microservices, and it will be with uh, our, our customer experience. I really implore you to come and see that one, too. Um, and then I'll be talking about simplifying the management on, of your Microsoft workloads on AWS. And this big heart that you see here is uh, really the love uh, that we have uh, for Microsoft that Microsoft has with, uh, for us because we are one of the biggest Microsoft uh, license holders, uh, the biggest, in fact, in the world. Uh, and um, we, we love each other. We uh, integrate with each other. Uh, we do a lot of things together and all this sort of stuff, although it seems like uh, you know, <laughs> we had competition. That, uh, that's uh, rather co-opetition than, co uh, than competition most of the time. Uh, these are so many different services we built specifically for Microsoft workloads in AWS and more and more. You'll see a, a lot of them being announced um, in, uh, in this reInvent as well, and I'll mention some of them too, um, and so on. Um, start off, where do we start off? How do I go into AWS? What is the first thing that I need to plan for? Well, that would be VPC design patterns, right? And let me ask you, and this is something also we call a landing zone when it comes to uh, you know, migrations and so on. So a lot of you, I'm guessing, know what VPC is, right? It's your, um, basically your network boundary, right, within AWS that you're going to have. Um, two, two patterns, one, the shared services one, uh, where you can have a central VPC, like a hub and spoke model. Uh, where it actually goes through peering, it connects to multiple other P VPCs, and where the hub actually contains your replicated services, it can contain your, uh, contain your domain controllers, it can contain system center, it can contain your central SQL farm, depending on how you manage your SQL, uh, SQL servers in your organization. Uh, it, can, it can contain all of those. Um, the gotcha with that one is that, um, you know, you can't actually, uh, uh, the, Individual VPCs can't see each other. So A, B, and C will see the shared VPC, but they can't, A can't see B, and B can't see C, and so on. So it doesn't have transitive properties. So what do we do if we want something to have transitive properties, and uh, we, want, you know, we still have workloads that multiple teams work on, they own multiple different accounts, and they have different VPCs in them? Well, we use something called a transit VPC, and we do. If you put, right now, if you favorite search engine, you put AWS Transit VPC. You will not see the documentation on the Transit VPC. You will also see a CloudFormation, which is a one-click way of deploying this. Um, and that involves having uh, two CSRs, two um, basically routers. Uh, this go 
routers that uh, um, in this particular case, uh, and um, and they would be doing routing to PCs. And a very quick way in which you can kind of add and tack them on one by one. Uh, so. Um, what that allows you to do is that a um, um, couple of things that are, that are really good about that is uh, all of your traffic will be going through these, uh, through these two uh, CSRs, meaning that you can do any type of network filtering, monitoring, and all this sort of stuff in a very kind of uh, um, you know, consolidated way. Um, it is kind of fully available because it's running on two, it can run on more. Uh, however, it's, it's also, uh, you want to make sure that you're using the right uh, instance sizes uh, with the right bandwidth, um, 40 CSRs could, because oh, they will be consuming all the bandwidth, uh, the, uh, and all the applications will be consuming that, that same bandwidth. And the second thing is, um, uh, in this case, each of these A will able, be able to see B, and B will able, be able to see C, and they'll be able to route to one another, you know, in a transitive way, right? <coughs> so. What about Active Directory? Simplest way you can possibly do, the easiest setups we've always done and all that, is literally just put down two uh, domain controllers up in um, uh, AWS, uh, establish VPN or use Direct Connect. Uh, VPN is, um, as you guys know, an IPsec tunnel. Uh, Direct Connect is really uh, uh, basically a lease line or a dark fiber, whatever you want to call it, uh, direct connection between us and you and your data center. Um, and, um, and that'll give you dedicated bandwidth as well. It doesn't go over the internet like VPN does. And, and for some, sometimes for, for security purposes, because uh, it uses BPG, you can actually use uh, VPN over, uh, over Direct Connect if necessary. Um, so um, back to the whole uh, uh, um, AD, uh, you just put, drop two DCs, you extend effectively uh, your, um, your Active Directory uh, into the cloud, um, you configure DNS forwarders and up and running. You can start deploying your applications in there like nothing, right? And that's really what it is. For all of the Microsoft applications, they're very chatty. They need to have, uh, you know, uh, DCs in their immediate vicinity uh, in order to um, have performance or adequate performance, specifically enterprise applications. Um, great things now. In parts, you could also have those DCs deployed uh, on EC2s. And um, um, with ADFS, uh, so you could have ADFS configured with ADFS uh, proxies, and those can uh, you can establish federation between you, uh, your your um, your your data center, as well as other partners uh, that you might be with that you need to provide single uh, um, uh, single sign-on access uh, to your applications or to any of the workloads uh, or anything like that. But more importantly. Have some uh, a managed Active Directory, uh, AWS Directory Services, Microsoft Active Directory uh, that you can use in conjunction with ADFS. You can do that before. You can now use it also with like SharePoints and the likes and all that. There's quite a bit that you can do. Um, in addition, uh, very recently we've released uh, standard edition. Before we provided enterprise edition uh, managed. Active Directory managed means that we manage it. Uh, you don't have to worry about it. We worry about it being available. We worry about it being up and running. We worry about all, all those aspects of it. We do provide you administrator access in the, uh, in, in the whole thing in order to you know, manage your OUs and all that sort of stuff. However, uh, we take that off your hands and we manage the heavy stuff. Um, and like I said, now it's been, become increasingly more popular, literally with all the customers I've been implementing so far. Um, they love it more and more. The fact that they don't have to worry about it and they don't have to manage it has been a massive thing. Um, and um, in conjunction with that, uh, the only difference is if you were to drop your own Active Directory in the cloud, um, you, you know, like I said, you can extend it, but if you were to use our uh, managed uh, Active Directory, you would establish a, an AD trust, uh, that be, whether that be a, a two-way or one-way trust. Um, and in that way, uh, you can effectively you know, um, extend into the cloud uh, using that. It can either go over the VPN or over Direct Connect once again. Um, and, um, and, and that way, you, know, you don't have to worry about uh, too much <laughs> about, uh, uh, from a deployment 
perspective um, uh, about managing uh, the infrastructure behind, but you can also uh, you still manage centrally all of your policies and things and make sure that those are distributed to all the managed um, um, active directories uh, in AWS. Um, what's, what we added to that as well, we added patterns, as you can see, uh, to, for integration of uh, managed Active Directory um, uh, through ADFS, uh, AD Sync, and uh, um, to Azure AD. So you can now, uh, those one that I showed you, really hybrid scenarios, right? Once you you can kind of build out any hybrid scenario between us and your data center or any other platform. But now you can also integrate with Office 365 and hybrid scenarios between Office 365 and, let's say, SharePoints and, and uh, CRMs or anything that you might be running uh, on AWS, right? And, um, and, and you can also, like, um, have hybrid scenarios between us and even Azure and all that since it's Azure Active Directory that we're really um, integrating with. Um, so what does that configuration look like? You would basically add two containers to AWS uh, 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 Microsoft Active Directory for use by uh, ADFS. Um, in, deploy ADFS integrated with Azure Active Directory, synchronous users, and voila, uh, using your you know, uh, Azure AD Connect, and um, uh, voila, you can sign in using Office 365 to your workloads um, um, on, on AWS. Massive thing. Awesome thing. Uh, you can federate also directly to managing our services and a whole bunch of other things. This has been a winner with a lot of our customers uh, that are kind of still on the fence between the two. Um, so, um, and that also ensures you that you know you can really kind of go between things and uh, and 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 be very nimble when it comes to cloud. Um, um, more, on a SQL side of things, uh, we have and uh, talk about that in. Uh, uh, in more detail now, we have two flavors, really. Uh, we have SQL, uh, deploying SQL on EC2 yourself, and, um, and uh, we have RDS for SQL, which is meaning that this is our own managed Microsoft SQL Server. Uh, choose the version. You can choose if you want it to have deployed and replicated across multiple um, availability zones. And more importantly, when I say availability zones, please remember that availability zones, in our case, very different to any other cloud, any other cloud provider, any other cloud platform, drastically different. Our availability zones are clusters of data centers. Um, each, each availability zone is a cluster of data center, centers uh, that are geographically displaced from one another, and they're on a different full plane, they're a different flood plane. There's not a single natural otherwise disaster that can take more active directory. For us, normal, uh, not active, sorry, um, availability zone. For us, um, normal deployment across two or more availability zones is equal to what used to be a high-end DR scenario of high-end, like deploying and DRing into like really uh, different colo or something like that, right? Um, so um, Amazon RDS will give you this multi-AZ deployment. It will, it will allow you to automate your backups, a um, whole bunch of other things that provide you with scalability, uh, high availability, um, uh, patching, so OS patching, all these things, maintenance, all these things that you don't have to, you wouldn't have to worry about. We worry about, we care of that for you. Uh, we manage it for you. If you want to do that yourself, you can deploy it on, on, on EC2, and then basically everything above OS install and power HVAC, and that, that's kind of you worry about what you manage if that's what you insist on managing. Um, now, one of the gotchas around um, uh, RDS and, um, and RDS, uh, sorry, and, and deploying on EC2 was basically there are some limitations around what you can use RDS for. There was limitations around. Uh, uh, the sizes of databases, and I employ you to look at those up. Those are constantly changing now. They in, in many, many terabytes and so on. There are uh, there the, were um, uh, limitations around which application enterprise applications will be using it at all. We still recommend that you use uh, SQL on AWS on rather on EC2 if you're using things like SharePoint and uh, Dynamics and so on. Um, however, uh, those things are rapidly changing, and I really implore you to keep your eye, especially on announcements that are coming up and all that, um, with respect to that. Having said that, for .NET developers, RDS has been a, a godsend, and a lot of our customers are running 
um, uh, not only the .NET developers, but anybody has been, who has been using uh, in, you know, SQL in some other way, except like for enterprise applications, they, uh, they really welcomed using uh, SQL and RDS. If you go right now, if you go to, if you plug in into your favorite search server, um, uh, AWS Quick Start, um, if you, you'll be able to scroll down and you'll see a quick start for SQL Server. Uh, and when you deploy it in your own account, it will actually this entire setup that you see, the entire infrastructure. It will deploy a network layer. Uh, it will deploy a security layer. It will deploy uh, Active Directory. It will deploy um, full always-on um, uh, um, synchronous configuration uh, between two or three nodes, depending on what you choose. Uh, when you deploy it uh, with a file share and witness server, um, and um, you'll be able to uh, you'll be you'll be able to use this. You'll be able to actually kick the tires and see how it is. Uh, but to give you uh, a good representation of this, I've been doing some very massive Im uh, implementations and migrations of SQL recently with our customers. And one of the recent ones that I've done, it was literally for la for a 46 terabyte uh, uh, SQL cluster, and. Um, We've used this quick start to start it off, and it was compliant with most of the, this is a very important customer, and the application is actually public facing, and cannot uh, afford any downtime. Um, we've used the, the, the quick start for the most part, and it was mostly compliant, we had to do some adjustments and all that, but quick start was uh, very much uh, applicable to the use case uh, that we needed. Uh, so so that, that to say, like how the level of um, detail uh, that we've um, you know, uh, put into actually the quick starts is that, that, uh, that high. You, this, I will be this, talking about this also now, migration scenario, um, this, this is going to be a pattern also for migration, but it's also a pattern uh, uh, between uh, uh, establishing a multi-region, always on availability group, or a way to establish a, um, a multi-platform availability group between us, your data center, or another platform, if, if need be. Uh, so what that is that we can, uh, by, by means of establishing a VPN, with, uh, whether it's with another region, with another platform, or with the, whether it's with um, on-premise uh, data center, uh, we can uh, have asynchronous uh, commit uh, an ASIC re uh, remote replica uh, on that side of things. Um, basically, with um, you know, with it, we can cut over later on. We can drop another DC in it, and so on. And that way, we can really um, you know not only migrate to AWS but also extend uh, the same application you may be running um, in, in one region in AWS to multiple regions and so on and, you know, and kind of extend uh, <laughs> you know, um, one by one uh, to, to literally all the regions around the world if necessary. Um, and uh, for those of you that are still fond of failover cluster instances or FCIs, um, so way back in the days, you know, almost a decade back, um, this is something that, uh, uh, that we mostly used right before this, this always-on stuff and all that in the days when only uh, failover cluster instances and uh, uh, log shipping was around. We would do drop two, you know, configure two uh, FCIs in active-active or active-passive, and then we would uh, configure log shipping to a DR uh, site. Um, and um, why we needed log shipping, uh, or we would do some sort of... Um, 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 based based replication uh, is because uh, FCR share the same uh, storage, and uh, and that means um, the, it only really provides redundancy between um, uh, nodes in the cluster. And if the storage is gone, it doesn't matter how many nodes you have, and whether they're active, active, or active, passive, <laughs> you know, your, your SQL is gone. Uh, so, um, so there always had to be some sort of um, if, if you want to go old school way, you can. We also have third party uh, partners like Sios and all that that allow you uh, to provide replication solutions for your FCIs if you want to run them, right, uh, with shared storage. This is uh, one of my favorite slides. Um, actually, this, this is, I have this as like a poster, and a lot of our customers use this as a poster. And it kind of shows, you know, the system of all the things uh, that immediate things that can simplify your um, your Windows architecture 
infrastructure specifically and all that. So you can see starting from the beginning, you know, we have um, uh, DNS with Route 53. Uh, we have web application firewalls with our uh, cloud form, with our CDNs. Uh, we got AWS Shield, which is top-hand security protection that, uh, uh, that we provide for all of us, uh, all of our top-tier customers and anybody who is willing to have it. Um, and then um, for any of the uh, public-facing or internally-facing, none of the servers uh, whether they be front-end servers and so on, need to be in a DMZ or a public subnet in this case. Uh, we, we don't use NAT instances anymore. We use NAT gateways now, uh, which is a managed way of NATing uh, to provide updates for your servers that are running in, uh, in public subnets uh, that need to get stuff from outside without being outside. Uh, we have WAP and proxies. Um, um, we, you can use RDGWs that we, uh, that we deploy for you uh, as well um, to get in. Uh, as kind of a bastion server. And then um, we provide uh, auto scale the biggest challenges uh, that I've been working with a lot of our customers uh, because a lot of .NET applications are very bloated. A lot of web fronts on enterprise applications are very bloated and, and there's no really way, very quick way of expanding those and adding those as uh, scalability need goes up, right? Um, or um, for self-healing purposes as well. Uh, you know, so I've been working on ways uh, in which we can actually speed this up by updating AMIs, which are used by auto-scaling groups through launch configuration, um, to quickly stand up these instances, add them to the topology of your application and to the topology like your SharePoint and so on and so forth. And if you want to talk about that, love to talk your ears off. Uh, I used to be a SharePoint MVP back then. So these are the things that I've been working with a lot of customers as well um, uh, on these, and as, uh, especially on the .NET side of things. Uh, come to me after the session. Um, then um, auto-scaling on the app server side of things, thanks to the server application model that has been uh, a while uh, on a .NET side of things and on enterprise application side of things. Those things can expand quite quickly. Um, yeah, making use of something like, uh, like auto-scaling is enormous. This is really what our top-tier customers use you know, when they want to uh, scale insane amounts of millions and gazillions users per second uh, that need to get in. Needless to say that this, this, will work, you know, this, is, this is the power that it brings to uh, running uh, uh, you know, .NET applications and Microsoft workloads in general. Um, behind it, we have RDS, we have SQL. Um, uh, we can either uh, configure and, and install our own domain controller, or we can use the managed uh, Active Directory that I talked about just now. We can connect back by BPN or Direct Connect. We can then use our storage services, which has 11.9's durability and have direct access through the VPC endpoint to it. Um, uh, can directly access it without actually having to uh, go over the internet and back, and back in. Same way, we can actually have a VPC endpoint for our Dynamo and NoSQL database, and so on and so forth. Um, there are a number of the DevOps services uh, for deployment that I'm going to touch on in a bit. Uh, configuration system manager, system manager being the best one. I will talk about that in a bit. Um, and also, KMS for encryption, uh, data addressed, uh, Cloud HSM for hardware encryption side of things. Any of your um, and uh, uh, and I'll be talking about you know between that and uh, um, um, kind of encryption in transition, you're going to have most of your compliance covered, um, and you'll see a lot of our services also are uh, uh, compliant um, and uh, compliance for for more and more of our, of our serverless. Or our serverless services is coming up, making it, uh, making them more applicable uh, for serverless uh, architectures that I'm going to be talking about. So, uh, how do we simplify uh, the deployment of all this CloudFormation? So, one thing that I kind of heavily underestimated way back uh, when I just started working in AWS uh, um, is uh, just just how powerful CloudFormation is. So CloudFormation effectively allows you uh, to, um, to have, it's a schema-based language in JSON or, or YAML. You define literally all of the services that you want to deploy, uh, all of the servers, the entire infrastructure. You def it, it can either implicitly take into account what are the dependencies for what you need to have, and you can also establish those dependencies yourself. 
Um, before I used to do that, like with PowerShell and stuff, it was insane. You, it would time out, it wouldn't be consistent. Sometimes it would fail, sometimes it would run. That's not the case with CloudFormation. CloudFormation knows AWS resources really well and allows you really to create um, um, a very good checks around deploying services on top of the service that you're deploying within the infrastructure, never mind the actual networking, never mind the actual uh, security layers and, uh, and so on and so forth. Um, it, it, it is cut down products that I have on uh, that used to last uh, uh, something like uh, six months. Now I could do the same in two weeks or less. And, you know, I've had, you know, uh, from start to production, actual deployments of like massive infrastructures and stuff in such short time. Um, it, it's a true story, true story. <laughs> so, so that's because we... I can, with, with confidence in a repeatable way, um, uh, uh, redeploy things and configurations that I've done in the past with some modification uh, that the customer requires. Example that I gave with SQL with the customer early on, that's one of the very good examples, right? Is that reusing that same, um, so uh, reusing that same, uh, uh, um, I want to say IP that we've built, right? And steps that we've built. Uh, the way it works, you create a template, you can create anything. Uh, honestly, I use uh, Visual Studio. We have Visual Studio uh, um, AWS Toolkit. I suggest you do that. I'll be uh, talking on, uh, a little bit more about that later as well. Uh, amazing, amazing thing. Uh, you can use that. You can use things to like, uh, um, like Troposphere that actually go ahead and build out programmatically uh, um, cloud formations, or you can just do it yourself with your, hand, in, you know, with your own hands, which I actually most of the time do. I just do minor adjustments and stuff. Um, the, our service takes and creates a, a, um, a form based on the properties that you're feeding it, and you can reuse the same cloud formation for like dev, test, and production, right? You can just note what you want for each environment that you're putting in. Um, Literally just that. You upload it, it starts building. I told you to go ahead and search for your AWS Quick Starts. When you search for it for the first link that you see, scroll down, you'll see a whole bunch of these. There's the SQL Server, there's Link, there's Exchange, there's SharePoint. All of these are production-like deployments of, um, of these uh, instances that you can go ahead and deploy in your account today, right now. Okay? Big deal. Um, for those of you that are taking pictures, uh, these slides will be made available, I think, shortly <laughs> afterwards to, for everybody. Um, simplify migration. Okay. So, uh, there are third-party tools and partners and ISPs that I wanted, to, wanted you guys to see here. Um, we kind of separate, and you'll see also from our migration hub into um, discovery and planning, uh, server and database migrations, data transfers, and application monitoring and profiling. And you can see we have CloudMize, RISC, Cloud Health, TSO, and our own, very own uh, AWS application discovery service for discovery. There's a certain level to discovery that it can do. Uh, guys, there's no magic wand to these things, right? You need to know your application for, you need to know what your application consists of, you need to have some sort of list and if you have that in front of you, things like these discovery application services can help you tremendously um, in migration planning. Um, then server and database uh, migrations, Adadata, Cloud Endure, uh, Cloud Velux, Velostrator, uh, as well as our very own server migration service, which I'll touch on, is, and database migration service. Database migration service, I might add, um, has uh, really been that good that... Uh, um, we've been using it for, you can use it for migrations from Oracle to SQL, not just SQL to SQL, not just SQL from on-premise to SQL in AWS or to RDS, but you can also migrate it over to less massive enterprise uh, databases such as Aurora or, you know, and so on. So you can just push this information wherever you want to. And um, it's been so good because it uh, uh, does no uh, downtime uh, type migration, which means continuous migration. Uh, that people have been using it as a replication tool and as a DR tool uh, between, uh, between, you know, their multiple sites and so on. Uh, so it's, it's really that good, uh, you know, um, uh, uh, from that aspect. It does work mostly for .NET applications and stuff. I wouldn't use it for things like uh, Exchange and, you know, and, and SharePoint and so on and stuff. Just uh, stick to, adhere to the actual uh, common migration approaches on that side. 
um, data transfer, Eternity. Uh, um, we have uh, S3 transfer acceleration. Um, we also have our uh, appliance, which is AWS storage and file gateway, uh, which you basically can just plug in when you send, and it can just go ahead and uh, take whatever stuff you're kind of storing and replicate it over to AWS. Continuously, um, you can use Snowball. Snowball, if you guys seen it, it's kind of a, <laughs> it's a device like this. You plug it in, and you, you, it's really more for like petabytes of data that you transfer over quickly from your, um, from your data center over to AWS. And then, if that's not enough, then you have Snowmobile. And that really, you can literally back up, like, I don't know, like the entire or something, I'm joking. Uh, but like Im immense amounts of petabytes, put it on a truck. That's a truck. And they brought, if you were here at reInvent last year, brought in the truck at, at the actual uh, keynote. It was funny as hell. And you plug in, you put in all the data on the truck. We drive the truck over to our data center and we make it available for you in AWS, which is freaking awesome. Uh, and then RecConnect. Direct Connect I mentioned as a way of having a dedicated line over to us, um, you know, to have a 10 gig or one gig line. Um, and we you know it doesn't go internet or anything like that. Uh, use BGP. Uh, a lot of the times people use that uh, for the data transfer only during migration and they cut it afterwards. So you can just use this dedicated line for that period and all that. You don't have to like commit yourself all the way. Um, so, uh, and Kinesis, which allows the real time uh, data transfer. We use it. Uh, I used it. Uh, so we use it. I use it uh, um, um, primarily for like uh, log transfers and uh, log aggregation for multiple sources, because it allows you to do in-memory process of these massive amounts of data and uh, uh, and makes them available to which whatever needs to read it or, or whatever needs to kind of hook into the uh, you know any of the events that might be there. And then there's like the usual application one. You could be, you can write your own agent that actually sends stuff over to CloudWatch, or you can go ahead and use something like AppDynamics, Dynetrace, New Relic, and so on. Um, you can even use, uh, I don't know, Do uh, Datadog and stuff. That you, there's only so many I can fit on the, on the, on the slide. Uh, you say, hey, Lassen, what does this typical migration look like for you? You know. Um, so first thing that we do is we establish a landing zone, right? You'll hear that a lot from us, right? Which is effectively just setting up uh, the full network infrastructure on this side. That means uh, setting up a VPC, establishing a range, setting up the subnets, uh, establishing a VPN or Direct Connect, uh, and so on. So that's going to be a landing zone where all of our stuff ends up. Um, next thing is we do security. We establish what security groups we're going to be using. For those of you that don't know what security groups are, they, they can be attached to a single instance or multiple instances or entire fleets of servers. And uh, they effectively are like proxy rules. You have, you have protocols, you define uh, what type of ports and what type of protocols will be allowed and uh, you establish a range of single um, uh, IPs or whatever that are gonna be allowed to access it. They're gonna be allowed to access it um, uh, quite simply. Um, a lot of our customers really rely on security groups all the way through. Um, it's literally just ingress and egress. What's really important is that we have uh, made it very friendly for uh, Microsoft workloads. So you'll find, that, you'll find that in selection, things like MS SQL protocol, you can just select it and use it and stuff like that. Uh, you'll see through our cloud formations that we have like domain members groups with, uh, with already pre-created rules that you, you guys can reuse. There's a lot of things that we have that you can just start using um, straight away. And uh, Active Directory, uh, we talked about it here. That's the first thing that you need to establish. Um, good thing about it is that you, know, you don't have to necessarily extend it. Uh, you can have um, AWS Active Directory running, and you can establish a one-way trust without having to uh, lose your mind over uh, with your security team and your Active Directory team, which, is, which might be resistant to like, oh, yeah, we don't know what's going on there and all this sort of stuff. So, so you can provide uh, Active Directory, um, you know, access in a very secure uh, way that doesn't affect um, any of the on-prem active directories or domain controllers in any way. Um, you can uh, then set up SQL Server, whether you're setting it up on EC2 or on RDS, uh, and then you can set up uh, uh, web servers and uh, and your app servers. Um, then um, 
you, you will be serving most of your um, uh, traffic now still through the DNS to your on-premise web service. And when you're ready, you can just cut off to production. Um, you can ensure your final replication synchronization occurs. You can run these tests before you cut over. I'm not saying go ahead and test it the first time. A lot of the times, the, way, the same way you would be testing like uh, a DR continuously and stuff, you can test this thing out. Once you're ready, once you have your run books in place, once you have your uh, rollback procedures in place and all that sort of stuff, you put it on. And by the way, your rollback is very simple. All you have to do is just put it back in. <laughs> right? <laughs> just switch it back here and that's your rollback. <laughs> and put it back in there and uh, whatever. And your your um, um, end users won't know at all that they switch and they exclusively now work in AWS. And that's probably the best thing that this thing brings to the table. Um, the uh, honorable mentions around the server migration service here. And, uh, right now we have support for VMware, but we will have support for more things. Please keep an eye on, uh, on all things. Honestly, most of the migrations that I've been doing from virtual environments have been from VMware for uh, uh, clothes. Um, important things to mention here. It's agentless, one thing. So you don't have to like preload the agent and the whole thing. Second thing is it can capture incremental change made to on-premise VMs. This was one of the things that was a question for most of the customers and it was a must. And most importantly, it can migrate a group of VMs simultaneously and orchestrate multiple migrations with this thing. So it doesn't have to be sequential and stuff. So it is a very sophisticated service part that allows you migration of VMs over, okay? Not too happy about these type of migration. This is if you just want to get rid of your data center really quickly and you don't want to have it in there. Most of the time we like to have and use an opportunity to refactor some of the aspects of your applications. This is what we call forklifting. You know, not, not, not the best thing, but if necessary, yeah. If in transition it's something that we would do and then we would refactor it for you going forward, that is a good strategy, right? Um, and this is really the kind of the, uh, the migration hub goes and takes all of those third-party services as well as our services. Uh, it gives you option using third-party or our services and goes through the same thing, discover, group, migrate using tools, whether it's outside or our own, and uh, track application migration status. And that is um, uh, AWS Migration Hub. It uh, allows you to track and plan, um, uh, you know, actual uh, it allows you to you know, have full control of it and um, uh, look at the progress and the whole thing. And you can track it really uh, through our dashboard and all that. And you can extend this dashboard to a lot of things. As you can see, it can show you which ones have not started yet, which ones are in progress. You can see patterns um, of things that have gone wrong and, uh, and deduce what's actually happening and, 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 uh, and causing things to go wrong and stuff like that, especially. But, you know, and it will allow both to, to spot these things and to quickly remedy them and also uh, implement perhaps better things and ways of uh, speeding up the same migration. Um, this is the same slide I had before, uh, honorable mention for that. Last year, I did a 400 session uh, with my colleague, uh, Scott McDonald, about uh, actual migration by, using, by means of always on. Uh, so we would have just extend uh, always on to do asynchronous uh, commit, uh, asynchronous remote replica over to AWS, and then we would kind of build out, add an, uh, the, uh, additional nodes over there, um, and then we would kind of build out the, the actual application and web front end side of things, and do the same cut over that I was showing you early on. Uh, this would allow a very, um, um, very seamless actual transition or migration uh, for uh, anything that supports always on. So whether those be .NET application, whether that be, uh, I don't know, um, SharePoint server migration or something like that, this is a much easier, much better way to do it. Um, it doesn't require any type of downtime. Uh, you don't have to have, uh, you know, downtime mitigation plans or anything like that. Uh, you don't have to have uh, maintenance windows and so on. Next thing. This is all great, but how do we simplify our .NET development? I've been working with a lot of .NET development teams. Uh, some people in the audience that I see uh, know I was working with them actually on it recently. Uh, and uh, and the, we've been working literally on simplifying how the .NET users look. They're like, oh yeah, this is AWS, maybe it's not that friendly, maybe we don't 
so many things. The overwhelming thing has been that there's a lot of things that have simplified a lot of aspects of the development, and there's been support for just about anything they wanted to do. So first things first, get AWS toolkit for, for Visual Studio. Um, install that guy. It's absolutely awesome. I am, I, I've been impressed ever since I found out about it. I'm a huge Visual Studio nerd. Uh, and, um, you know, having seen how well this uh, integration uh, has been made and how well the, uh, the templates have been made, um, how it is, it allows me not only to develop uh, uh, the .NET projects the way I've been using them before, but more importantly, uh, uh, how it allows you uh, to extend it using our uh, serverless services uh, to... Um, to basically simplify it, to, to take out uh, anything uh, or any aspects that were complicating it or that were making it more bloated and all that sort of stuff, right? And also that, that would allow it to be more available, um, more uh, scalable, and um, um, needless to say, faster. So the, um, our code services is really how we do the CDCI. Uh, for development of any aspects, and that's no different than, you know, for the .NET application. Um, code commit uh, have to be on a source side, code commit, it can be GitHub, and it can be TFS, it can be uh, VSTS. Uh, in VSTS, you can actually go ahead and uh, you can get uh, an integration with AWS, uh, TFS, you can do the same with a toolkit, uh, all you have to do is just point it to an S3 bucket. That S3 bucket can have um, a, uh, an event that goes ahead and initiates the process. So instead of source, it can be an S3 bucket that initiates the process with AWS code pipeline. Code pipeline is our uh, CDCI pipeline that we have developed and used it at Amazon. Then we brought a lot of our customers to see how we do things. And then they said, what is this awesome thing? Can you please make it available for the rest of us to use it? And then we made it a service. So it was our own thing that we developed, our own baby that we used for development of things Amazon and, uh, and that we made available uh, to you guys. It integrates not only with our services, but with a whole bunch of um, third-party services. For build, we have code build, uh, which actually does perform uh, fairly uh, straightforward, easy uh, build action um, into on, uh, using containers. Um, and it will do it for .NET as well. You can use it also for test uh, aspects. And then code deploy um, it really is there for deployment into any environment, whether that be a test QA or the production environment afterwards. Both code build and code deploy use something called uh, app spec and build spec file. And the app, app spec and build spec file um, are so simple. Literally, you just have events like before install, after install, before, you know, uh, you can define uh, even to install a, um, or check if um, a web server has been installed, whether it's running, whether it needs to recycle application pools, whether it has to do any of that, where the files need to be copied and all that. And it's literally, it took, I sort of got a couple of minutes for most people to start working with these and start editing them. That's how they simple are. Because it says, this, where, where, where in the package is your file? Where do you want it to be? Bam. You just put in the actual path. That's it. That's all they had to do. And you just, for each of those events, you have to put it in. Um, I mean, it's, it's, it's very simple. Our service reads that in the package itself. So that app spec .yaml or build spec for build and app spec for, for code deploy are in the package itself. Our service reads it and uh, those instructions to the service to what it needs to do. Very straightforward. CodeStar. Check out the CodeStar services, guys. This thing is awesome. Uh, not only do, can you, you can actually go ahead and select something, the ASP.NET Core web application or web service, and it will create the entire CDCI pipeline for you. And it can use um, um, GitHub or Git or, you know, um, code commit. Uh, it will use code deploy, code build. Um, and uh, code pipeline over all of it, and it will create a dashboard for you with all of this. It will show you how these things are. It will seed it with a, with a mock or test.NET project, uh, and you'll be able to change that project, add things to it, and see live how it's going through the entire pipeline and how it gets deployed. And you know what? You can just you know, replace that entire project with your own .NET project and watch it uh, all the way to, uh, to the production service or to the container. Um, whichever way. 
how can we further, now we know how to simplify the development, right? We have the toolkit, um, we have all these things, we have CodeStar, we have, we have the entire CDCI pipeline uh, with full sophistication uh, of, of, of any CDCI CI pipeline, uh, of any CDCI pipeline should have, uh, and uh, we can also integrate into our own well-known TFSs and VSTSs, right? So how do we simplify now the architecture? Key thing here, Lambda. Lambda is, is making everything possible. It is, uh, it is an ultimate cheat code in my book <laughs> for anything. Literally, it's a serverless um, uh, service. It's stateless. It's serverless. You don't have to uh, worry about anything. You don't have to manage anything. It's a piece of code. That gets it. You just write a piece of code. You say, okay, there's a payload given to, the, to, to, to Lambda, and you say you can parse it. You can do whatever you like with it, and you can talk to it whatever you like, to API you wanted to talk, anything you wanted to do, uh, you can do through AWS. You don't have to worry about whether you have enough of them in separate availability zones. You don't have to worry about um, um, you know, whether they, um, you know, um, whether they're available, whether they uh, uh, have the right performance or anything like that. Those are the things that we worry about once you actually design and deploy it uh, up to your specs. Um, so any event, any change of data state, uh, any endpoint, any um, API event will shoot off the Lambda function, which will be written in C Sharp. Uh, there are a number of services that you can use in a serverless architecture to replace many aspects of what you do. A lot of application tier in your .NET applications, a lot of the bloated, um, uh, I want to say, uh, store procedures and so on, you can replace with what Lambda does instead uh, in a very effective, uh, performant way. Um, you can use something like Amazon API Gateway uh, that actually provides uh, get, um, RESTful endpoint to anything that you want to build without you having to build one. It's literally, you know, it's equivalent to a managed service that you can just, just bring up for any of the uh, events that you have in there. So I've used it not only to create services, but also to do things like uh, encapsulate um, legacy services, SOAP services, and get, you know, uh, uh, put lambda, lambda endpoint, that, uh, sorry, the API gateway endpoint that talks to Lambda, and that, then the Lambda will be talking to the SOAP service and then talking back and forth to whatever application needs to talk to. You know, whether it's internally, whether it needs to be exposed for any B2B to your external partners or any other you may be running externally or so on. Right? Um, so what does that kind of look like? So here's the thing. So you can just as easily replace lambdas with C-sharp over here that you see. You can actually replace them with, uh, with containers that they are running. And really, lambdas in the background, um, which is something you don't know. It's only, uh, only we know. Uh, it's, uh, um, they're, they're just containers that are running in the background that we run them. Uh, and you can, you can just the same way run ECS with containers. Uh, they can use API Gateway. They can use things like step functions, uh, which is effectively a work. So if you think like API Gateway is kind of what uh, WCF was, but hell of a lot simpler and easier to create. Um, AP, um, uh, step functions is what um, Windows Workload Foundation was, but hell of a lot easier. Um, very simple um, uh, schema-based language that allows you uh, to create and in each step either uh, manage a state machine workflow, uh, in each step, either uh, initiate or use uh, Lambda, or allow it allow uh, an activity to um, interact with um, code that might be running, let's say, in a container or elsewhere on another server that needs to inform uh, workflow what's going on. Um, you have uh, you can use the uh, simple queuing service. Um, for, for queuing, and uh, you can use simple notification service, more importantly. Um, not only can the uh, SNS talk to services, um, to other service points, and, uh, and communicate, but it can also send emails, and it can send SMSs to your phone um, based on any of these things. So it can really kind of, you know, decompress and take away most of the most of the complexities out of your current applications. If you look at a lot of these services that we have, uh, they stack on and on and on. We have a lot of them um, that we can use. You can uh, dynamically allocate them, use them. Uh, when you don't use them, you switch them off like a light. It's gone. You're not paying for it. Lambda is notoriously cheap. 
Uh, someone was saying, can I like, uh, um, you know, sh shoot off land every, every minute? Uh, how much will it cost me for a month? It, it turned out three cents or something insanely low. I can't remember exactly, don't hold me to it. But it was something that was laughable. And, and so these are the things that you really want to, if you want to kind of save money, you want to save on things, please do that. When it comes to serverless applications, this is kind of the cloud formation. I talked about the cloud formation for how it looks like. This is what the, the YAML for the cloud formation services would look like. For the serverless applications, we simplify the cloud formation even more, right? Uh, these are all the things that you need to put in, all the dependencies, all the details around configuring your servers and stuff like that. However, um, we developed something called serverless application model with AWS SAM, and we have a squirrel. Squirrel is the Sam, Sam the squirrel. <laughs> so, uh, and, and that's a much shorter thing. So that entire thing is now only this, uh, this block uh, in CloudFormation. It's now called a Sam template. Um, and you just define a function. You say, you say what the, where the code is sitting, uh, you know, in which, in this case, in an S3 bucket. You define what the handler is, runtime. And then you say, aha. Uh -huh, uh, event is API, and the, this the path method is any. It will automatically create API gateway uh, with a service endpoint for this function that we built. And then I'll just define a table, and will automatically create a simple table in um, um, DynamoDB for me. So this is it, we have uh, extremely simplified the serverless application deployment, um, which so, uh, takes part of the pipeline. Um, for the, the pipeline that I showed early on. Um, so in this case, it also uses like, it can use code commit, um, it can use, uh, I don't know, TFS through S3, or uh, it can use, uh, um, uh, I don't know, GitHub and so on. And then the build process would also go through code build, but then um, deploy testing and all that would go through CloudFormation. Um, so we would build uh, these services through CloudFormation, whereas, you know, uh, normally we would just pointed to like EC2 where we want the code to be deployed and all this sort of stuff. There's, not, there's no instance to point it to, so we, we do it through CloudFormation deployment and testing. Um, so check this out in more detail when you do get a chance. Last but not least, simplify management. So now we have, we have got rid of of legacy code, we have uh, simplified our architectures, made them more nimble, made them a lot cheaper to run, and made them more available and more resilient than it used to be. Uh, we have create, we have simplified our architecture, um, we've simplified our infrastructure, we have simplified how we deploy things um, in tremendous way. So now, how do we do things? So, enter system manager. So, a system manager. Uh, I was waiting for this to happen. Had this bug going on before. Um, has things like um, a state manager, which is kind of the desired state configuration server. Um, it has run commands, um, where it allows you to run a same script or same command that you type in PowerShell uh, to multiple fleets of servers that you have in there. Uh, you can establish maintenance windows. Uh, you have um, a patch, uh, a patching. Uh, for, uh, for all of your windows. You can literally define in, in Patch Manager what uh, KB articles you want to use and which ones, which fleets of servers you want to apply which KB articles to, and so on. And uh, you can do that also through co run commands. Uh, see, it's fighting me. Uh, <laughs> uh, you can have full inventory management. Um, you can use Parameter Store, uh, which actually allows you uh, to also um, securely store secrets, any secrets that you make, because it allows you to encrypt any of the data that you put in there, uh, or just keep general data that may be needed uh, for your applications or for your maintenance and uh, you know, running your service. So, well, I'll win this. Someone, we had the same issue. The guys know uh, this thing is going crazy. So um, luckily, we, we're right at the very end. You can then uh, uh, pipe all the all, all of the. In addition to what CloudWatch has, uh, you know, from a CPU, disk utilization, and so on. Um, that's it. It's, it's, it says that. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Let me try and uh, see if I can go back. We only have a few minutes. We're right at the very end, thankfully. So. Ah, let's try this again. 
State, state manager can ensure that uh, configuration uh, is, is maintained on all of your servers, even if they don't have the specific configuration. Uh, they can make sure that any servers that are being released or created in the whole environment are, are domain joined, uh, and they have you know, whatever they need to have. And if somebody changes it, you can change it back. Uh, like some, somewhat like desired state configuration. So maintenance window, like I said, works with a patch manager. Automation, I work with the system manager a product group specifically on uh, things like um, um, uh, AMI uh, patch man, uh, patching of AMIs rather and all that sort of stuff. So updates to AMIs, not just, not just patches, but also uh, making sure that they pull all the necessary data uh, to make bringing up the launch configuration when it comes to uh, auto much faster than you normally would. Um, and AMI is important in this case. You know, for like updating your image, any image that you may be using for or any of your applications that you're using in that case. Um, yeah, uh, all of this is really based on documents. So those documents can, uh, can be run, uh, used by run commands. It can be used uh, for automations. It can be really used uh, for anything. And you'll see them if you go to your... Um, uh, to your console, EC2 console, and then you scroll on, on, on the left-hand side of it, you'll see all the system manager aspects that I'm showing you right now, and you'll see, most importantly, documents, and you'll see that we've created a whole bunch of them specifically for Windows management. So I implore you to take a look at those. You can literally manage everything about your farm through the systems manager, right, in a very secure way without even having access to any of these uh, any of your servers. And this is, this is a tremendous thing that you can do for yourself. Um, and uh, you can make use of things like SNS topics and so on. You can hook onto the events. And more importantly, you can, you can automate any action. So any administrative action that you know will happen based on some specific error that is going to come across, a specific issue that, that you register and that, that can come through uh, any type of log, you can automate it and you can say, and perform this to auto-fix it before you even notice that it happened, right? Um, so I talked about, you, you, you know, the actual uh, CloudWatch metrics. You can create custom metrics, whether you're using third parties, whether you create your own, uh, and you send all of your, I don't know, application log files over to CloudWatch. And then CloudWatch can either shoot it through Kinesis and make it available in... Um, uh, you know, something like Redshift, which is, uh, which is a data warehouse, or it can just, you know, over directly to any, uh, any type of um, dashboarding service or anything like that. And I'll show you what that looks like just now. Um, it can start off workflows. It can send an email. Uh, it can send SMSs um, and so on and so forth. Um, so everything kind of converges onto the CloudWatch and CloudWatch integrates into everything. And that's really what's important to understand. CloudWatch it has direct pipes into, you know, whether it's uh, Kinesis, whether it's directly to Elasticsearch, for those of you that uh, prefer like ElkStacks, uh, and you can use Kibana to uh, show you how, you know, everything is performing on your side. You can use Amazon QuickSight as well uh, to go ahead and uh, view. I don't know, how it, it uses a Spice Engine, the in-memory processing. It's a BI. For those of you that are Microsoft TCA, it's kind of like Power BI. Uh, it's our answer to it, so go check it out. It's just as easy to use. Um, Self-service BI, we call it, right? And then, more importantly, what I do a lot for a lot of, for the second, for the DevOps teams and so on, is that I uh, get those events out to Slack or to Teams or to HipChat or whatever you may be using. And they can also, uh, because we webhooks and stuff, um, and, uh, you know, through API Gateway, uh, they can also um, go ahead and send commands back uh, to their own uh, fleets of servers, to their own AWS infrastructure, to AWS services, and tell them to do. Example that I do very often for the SecOps teams is um, uh, anybody makes changes to security groups, right? Uh, those will immediately pop up in the SecOps uh, chat group, and uh, it will notify the SecOps admins and all that, and they can go ahead and they can, uh, they can send a command back that actually asks them uh, to... Um, thanks. Yeah, well, 
at least it lasted this long. Uh, <laughs> uh, they can send back commands and, and tell them to either re, you know, restore the groups the way they were, or they can do other changes to the infrastructure or to the application directly from Slack, HipChat, or Office 365, using that, or whatever the case is, right? Anyway, um, thank you so much for coming. Uh, if you have any questions, I will step outside and I will take the questions. I got uh, in one minute as soon as this thing ends. Um, I hope you picked up all the ways that you can simplify Microsoft workloads in AWS. Um, and my, uh, my email is my name at Amazon. So it's uh, Zlatan, first name at Amazon.com. Uh, it's not because I'm very important. Just, I'm just the only Zlatan in the whole Amazon for some reason. Uh, <laughs> so so uh, please go ahead and hit me up. Uh, um, uh, you can see me also on, on Twitter, uh, Zlatan Zinnik, um, and um, same for LinkedIn. Uh, please go ahead, follow me. Uh, let's um, uh, add me on LinkedIn. Um, I'd love to you know, stay in touch with all of you. Thank you very much.